from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. A lot of times people get so emotional around abortion that they're not able to have a real discussion about where people's views are. That she would somehow be neutral on the idea is a little audacious to okay, me. Okay, so let's take so it, it goes let's, both let's, ways. Let's step it back goes both from, ways. from the spokeswoman or the, the okay, chief medical officer. Enough. Let's talk about a woman who decides that she doesn't want to be pregnant. I guess calling to speak as a person who has had an abortion. When Ms. Coleman mentioned it's not political, I thought back to when there was an election and I got a call. Really hearing um, the representative coming from a place of privilege. Um, I was adopted at birth and I didn't even know it for a long time. One of the things about those of us who are working so hard to overturn Roe v. Wade is to make sure that we're bringing this back into the democratic process. I'm Sarah Fenske. Last year, anti-abortion advocates scored a major victory. They passed a law in Texas that virtually stopped abortion in the state. The law allows private citizens to sue anyone who seeks out, provides, or helps someone get an abortion after a heartbeat can be detected. That kicks in around six weeks in most cases. The Supreme Court has grappled with and continues to grapple with the legal complications around how the law is written. But for one St. Louis area lawmaker, the Texas example is a good one. State Representative Mary Elizabeth Coleman of Arnold filed a bill late last month to bring a Texas-style law to Missouri. It's part of her goal of ending abortion in the show-me state and ultimately the nation. And she joins us today to talk about it. State Representative Mary Elizabeth Coleman, welcome. Thanks for having me on. So in the fight over abortion, the idea of allowing private individuals to sue abortion providers and other people involved with this is certainly a novel one. When did you first think, hey, Texas is on to something that could provide a good template here? Yeah, so honestly, I was not following Senate Bill 8. That's the bill that was passed in Texas that allowed that. And interestingly, heard um, the Supreme Court's ruling on it while I was doing a radio interview and was asked about that question. And I had to say, you know, I haven't been following it. And I haven't read it. So um, I, you know, I was lu- I'm lucky that as a practicing attorney and a public interest lawyer, I work on um, constitutional issues. And um, my firm that I work with, Thomas More Society, had a phone call with the lawyer who drafted that um, on Friday after the ruling came out on Thursday. And so I was able to kind of do the prep work for that Zoom meeting and read about it and, and kind of brush up on it. Um, and, you know, it is the first case that's had since Roe was passed um, that's had pre-enforcement um, uh, standing. So what typically happens, as you know, in abortion law and litigation, I'm trying not to sound too lawyerly, if you'll no, forgive me. No, I appreciate I think our listeners, you know, would, would appreciate kind of a the process. Yeah, yeah, process. Sorry. So what typically happens is that providers have standing to sue before a bill has actually gone into law. Mm-hmm. And so that's called pre-enforcement. Um, and they get they end up getting um, injunctions against them as they work their way through the courts. And sometimes they stand. Um, like health and safety regulations, um, or sometimes they're told they're not going to 
pass constitutional muster. And so this is the first bill that I'm aware of that has been able to be in effect while it's working its way through the courts. And so that means each and every day that it's in effect, there are hundreds of lives that are being saved. And so Missouri has long been a pro-life state. Um, you know, this is seen now in many ways as a partisan issue, but it hasn't been. Um, in the last 60 years that we've really been having abortion jurisprudence, it has been a bipartisan issue. There's a smaller number of pro-life Democrats now, but they're still there. Very small number. Well, you know, but they really exist. And what happened what, in Missouri, at least, is that we have in our statute that life begins at conception and that we're a pro-life state. And that was put in by the Democratic supermajorities. And so this is, a, a, you know, Missouri has long been pro-life, whether it's been under a Democratic or a Republican majority. And so... Um, I, I think that doing everything we can to make abortion not just illegal but unthinkable in the state is really going to move things forward. So do you see this as something where even if the Supreme Court doesn't ultimately let this thing stand, that in the meantime, you'll be able to block some abortions along the way? Well, what's happened with abortion jurisprudence is that every time something has passed, and we are, you know, the, the premise of Roe v. Wade was that it would settle this issue once and for all. And 49 years later, we had more than 100 pro-life bills that were passed across this country. So clearly the issue is as unsettled, if not more unsettled than ever. And so because of the way that the court's jurisprudence has come out, which is really almost every time there's a pro-life um, law that makes it to the Supreme Court, the standards change. Mm -hmm. What's allowed and what isn't allowed is new and different. And that's part of why you see so many new bills that are passed up. For people who think this is the preeminent issue of our time, like I do, it's really important that we keep challenging it in any and every way. And a law that is allowed to go into effect today does save lives today. And so that's it's kind of a no-brainer to me that this is something that we need to be having here in Missouri. So I want to talk in just a bit about why this is such an important issue for you, why you, <coughs> you see this as this is your cause. But first, talking about this specific Texas bill, um, our producer Jane Mather-Glass talked to Dr. Colleen McNicholas. She's the chief medical officer of Planned Parenthood of the St. Louis region and Southwest Missouri. And she talked to her about this Texas law. So here's what Dr. McNicholas said about that. I think one of the most important things about this bill and bills that are like this copycat Texas bills is that it really is going to cause tremendous confusion amongst, for example, providers in the community, other people who are trying to help family members or their congregation or their patients try and get the needed health care they need. When it is unclear to what level folks will be liable for referring a patient to another physician, for driving their sister to a health center, for counseling their parishioner on difficult decisions that they are making in the context of their faith. That level of confusion has an incredibly chilling effect, and that is partly the intention of this kind of bill. And that, again, is Dr. Colleen McNicholas, the chief medical officer of our local Planned Parenthood here in Missouri. Love to have you respond to that. Is confusion in part the goal? No. Listen, the the part of the goal is to make sure that we're saving lives. And um, Colleen and I know each other well. Interestingly, when Representative Rachel Prouty had a cleanup day over in um, Kinlock, she and I were assigned the same site and worked hour by hour cleaning up tires. Um, Was that incredibly awkward? You guys are both so passionate about this issue. No, we know each other. I mean, like, I see her in the hallway and tell her where the hearing room is when we're going to have a hearing. I mean, this is part of it is that I believe that abortion jurisprudence um, 
belongs outside of the court in the democratic process. And people who are um, care a lot about other people can have different ideas about what the right way to address this is. So I think she's absolutely wrong. And uh, my life's work is to end her life's work and vice versa. But um, but but really, I, I, I don't think she's coming from it from a place of hatred or um, I just think she's wrong. And the work that she's doing is really hurting not just the children that are losing their lives, but women as well. And um, so it's maybe it should be more awkward than it is for me, but it, it it wasn't really. And to respond to what her statement is, the goal is not confusion. You know, I've heard in other interviews she say that this is about a political ploy. Um, it's just absolutely that's not what this is about. What this is about is saving the lives of the unborn. And we have a mega clinic that is operating just outside the border. Um, Talking that is about on the Illinois, on the side, Illinois side of the side. river. That's right. I think it's like nine miles from here. Mm-hmm. And um, basically from where we're sitting. And it's wholly owned. My understanding is it's wholly owned by Missouri's um, Planned Parenthood affiliate. And so they're just continuing to profit off of this crisis that women are in, and I'd like to see it stop. So she talks about the idea that people who are just counseling women or if somebody transports somebody to an abortion clinic, that they could get caught up in this. During the period where this could become law in Missouri, while we're waiting for the Supreme Court to decide if it gets to stand, are you worried people like that could be caught up in it unfairly? Well, I don't think if you're aiding or abetting someone receiving an abortion, which is an illegal procedure in the state, um, or which you hope to make an illegal procedure in the state. It, I'm it, saying would be. Would be, yes. Yeah, yeah. Under this, under this law, then I think that's appropriate. Now, there are free speech concerns, and it will be drafted very carefully to make sure that people have a right to say what they want to say. Um, but I, I don't believe that people should be helping others get abortions. No, I think that women deserve better than that. So you have talked about this using the frame of these kind of bans empower women mm-hmm. and that this is something that would actually help women. There's a lot of women who might have a different take on that. Well, yes, so Colleen, for example, right? But I would argue, you know, she literally makes her living from profiting from this procedure so that she would somehow be neutral on the idea as a little audacious to Okay, me. so let's take so it, it goes let's, both let's, ways. Let's step it back both from, ways. from the spokeswoman or the, the okay, chief medical officer. Enough. Let's talk about a woman who decides that she doesn't want to be pregnant. I mean, you've been pregnant. I've been pregnant. It is one of the toughest things I have ever done sure. in my life. It was hard and it was expensive. If a woman decides she doesn't want to do that, how is it empowering to say, hey, no, you got to go through with this nine months and you're given birth at the end? So Guttmeyer Institute, which is the public interest interest. Um, uh, they're the, the research wing for Planned Parenthood. Um, they talk about what are the reasons why, why are people getting abortions? And what we hear and what we see is that people are getting abortions largely because of crises that are happening in their lives. And we talk about or hear abortion talked about as, um, you know, it saved my career, had an opportunity to keep my education. Um, and, and what I would say to that is that no one would say to a man that in order to be successful, they had to end their child's life. And for women who are already under crisis saying, here, we're going to remove this child, who also, by the way, is an incredible gift and joy, is the answer. I just think that it is, um, you know, the, the founding women, the suffragists, were all universally pro-life. And they were in large part because there's something uniquely 
empowering about being a mother. And I think you would agree with that as well. I mean, I yeah, I love being a mother. And frankly, you know, when I say being pregnant was the worst, I didn't say the worst, I said the hardest. <laughs> it was the hardest experience of my life. Giving birth to my two kids was also the very best experience of my well, life. And so sir, I won't argue with no, that. And sir, what I would say too is that as a woman, you know, and I know that your life is forever changed when you find out you're pregnant, no matter the outcome of that pregnancy, whether it ends in the violence of abortion or whether it results in a loss of a miscarriage or a, a child that you raise or even place for adoption, you are fundamentally different person after that experience. And so I, my, my fundamental belief is that women deserve support and they deserve equality and um, not having to deny what is fundamental about being a woman in order to be successful economically. We're talking today to State Representative Mary Elizabeth Coleman. She represents part of St. Louis County and Jefferson County. She's introduced a Texas-style bill um, in the Missouri House, hopes to see abortion banned here. We do need to take a quick break, but we'll be back shortly to continue this conversation with the representative. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com. Welcome back. We're talking today to State Representative Mary Elizabeth Coleman. She represents part of St. Louis County and part of Jefferson County. They are in Jefferson City. Um, and she's talking to us today about the bill she's introduced in the Missouri legislature uh, that's modeled on the Texas one that is sort of working its way through the court system. She sees that as a good way to ban abortion here in Missouri. Um, and I wanted, we had heard earlier from Dr. Colleen McNicholas. Again, she's the chief medical officer of Planned Parenthood of the St. Louis region and Southwest. Missouri. And she spoke about the idea of pregnancy and the empowerment of that. Let's listen to what she had to say. The truth is, adoption is not an alternative to being pregnant. It's an alternative to parenting. And there is an incredibly important reality that folks miss when they conflate the two, which is that pregnancy is potentially dangerous for people who continue their pregnancy. There are consequences to being pregnant, um, and if the end game for somebody is that they don't want a parent, we shouldn't automatically force them to absorb the risks of continuing the pregnancy for the purpose of putting their child up for adoption later. So again, that is Dr. Colleen McNicholas, and this is a state that does have a fairly high uh, maternal mortality rate. Are you worried about the consequences of the government telling people this is what you have to do with your body? Well, so we're fundamentally talking about not your body, but another person's body, the baby's body. And I think that that is, we start to talk past each other on this issue a lot. Um, and it's really important that we kind of define what terms we're talking about. So when we're talking about any sort of law that is prohibiting violence against another, it's not about just the one person. Now, pregnancy is uniquely different um, 
I think that there's no separating that fact. Mm-hmm. And you know, it might surprise people to say here that I agree with Colleen McNichols to the extent that when a woman's life is in danger, the woman's life has to be protected. And all the state laws that have been passed and are in place do that. They protect the life of the mother and they have a life of the mother exception. I will also say I agree that adoption is not the answer for everybody. Um, I'm an adoptive mother. Um, We have open adoptions. We're incredibly blessed that our children's um, first families want to be a part of their life. But adoption is not... um, you know, it's not without difficulty navigating and has to be has to be navigated. I also will say I agree that um, it has to be navigated. That's a terrible phrase, right? Okay. <laughs> but also I'm kind of moving on in my head, which is always a dangerous thing to be addressing something with the next step and then you kind of bluster through things. But um, maternal mortality rates are high in Missouri. It's something that's very, very difficult. Cora Faith um, and I have been working on that um, since before she went to the St. Louis County. Um, this there is Cora been, Faith Walker. Well, yeah, Cora Faith Walker. When she and I served together, her I guess it was her sophomore year, my freshman year, I have been working on the maternal mortality rate since I've arrived. It's incredibly complex and very, very important. And in fact, I don't know that your listeners maybe don't know that we have passed um, requests for waivers under the Medicaid program so that women have full coverage a year after they deliver because a lot of these adverse health consequences are happening after delivery with stroke or et cetera, these longer problems, and having access to quality medical care is vital to that. So my point is not an ever to say that we don't need to provide support for women. I think that's vital. Um, I hope the Biden administration will grant that waiver and allow us to cover pregnant women for an extended period of time. We've been asking for years for mm-hmm. that. Um, but it's To conflate the two issues, I think, becomes really um, disingenuous at best. I want to go to the phone lines. Uh, Mary is calling from Shrewsbury. Uh, Mary, hi. You're on St. Louis on the Air. Thank you. Um, I'm just calling to speak as a person who has had an abortion, and this was not long after Roe v. Wade was passed. Um, And I, I totally disagree that someone like this representative making the decision for me as to whether or not I could choose abortion would not be empowering. It would not have been empowering at the time. And secondly, I'd like to say that, indeed, pregnancy is life-altering, but not always in a positive way. I've, I've had pregnancy and miscarriage. That was not a good thing. It was a tragedy. But having an abortion was something that, for me, I still view as positive, I have no regrets about it, Um, and I will do everything I can to see that my daughters and granddaughters are able to do the same if they so choose. Mary, thank you for that, and thank you for sharing um, from your personal experience. I really appreciate that. Uh, Representative Coleman? I don't think that there wasn't really a question or a comment. I, I just think, you know, again, one of the things about those of us who are working so hard to overturn Roe v. Wade is to make sure that we're bringing this back into the democratic process. This is a difficult topic, and people have strong opinions about it, and the courts have not resolved this issue. And so doing everything we can to end this created constitutional right to make sure that the democratic process can work um, I think is really vital. And there are people, I, of course, I know who disagree with the views that I have. And if they would like to, then they can work to elect people who have the same views that they have. So putting it back into the democratic process is actually the best path forward um, to dealing with this in the long term. Let's go back to the phone lines. Kathy is calling from St. Louis County. Uh, Kathy, hi, you're on St. Louis on the air. Hi, uh, Sarah. And hi, Ms. Coleman. 
Um, I, I had, uh, when Ms. Coleman mentioned it's not political, I thought back to when there was an election and I got a call uh, regarding uh, pro-life and uh, I asked the woman how many kids that are walking around had she picked up and fed and clothed. How many of the active pro-choice women have done that themselves on a regular basis? Because it's not just the unborn, but it is the born, too. And I would also like to ask Ms. Coleman this, because she does represent Jefferson County. How is it that vaccine, taking a vaccine is overreach, but dictating abortion is not? Kathy, thank you for that question. So the idea of the vaccine goes into your body. Well, you also have a, a fetus in your body. So, yeah, can the government tell you to do both those things? Well, so right now, the current laws in the state of this country is that you there are vaccine mandates that have been out and employers have an ability to decide whether, you know, conditions of employment are able to continue, et cetera. I, I don't support vaccine mandates. I think that, um, you know, one of the reasons why is that for me, my deeply held religious belief is that things that were developed in the process of um, or in the production of using fetal tissue cells is makes it illicit and makes it something that I don't want to have a part in. Um, so I think that you have a balance between people's deeply held religious beliefs and the good of society. And so whenever we're talking about public policy, we're talking about what is in the best interest for the good of society. And again, we kind of talked about this earlier, Sarah, we end up talking past each other a lot on the abortion issue because we start talking about, um, you know, the my body, my choice slogan starts to break down for people who are pro-choice, but they want a vaccine mandate and they like to kind of throw it in pro-lifers faces. Um, and similarly, you know, I think people who are anti-abortion will often be accused of not supporting children after they're born or supporting policies after they're born. I think both of those are probably unfair accusations on both parts and that these things are complicated and we're dealing with multiple different interests and it's a balancing. And so that's why these things belong in the democratic process. So we got a call. I'm going to just summarize it just in the interest of time. But John calling from Ladue wonders why pro-life people and Planned Parenthood people don't work together to just get Plan B out there. Would you support increased access to all of these ways to um, help people not get to the point where they might need an abortion? Things like increased birth control, things like Plan B. Well, so you saw, I think, in the Missouri Senate over the interim session, there was a lot of discussion about access to contraception and um, the 11 who are called the women of the Senate came together and created some and crafted some language to make sure that that was broadly available. And it is worth noting that my um, policies and work on ending abortion is not about contraception. The work that I'm doing is about abortion and making sure we're saving babies' lives. And so there is, um, I think it's like 492 federally qualified health clinics across the state that have access to family planning services. And I think most people really do view that as part of the solution. So um, again, I think this may be one of those examples that John is bringing up where people are talking past each other um, and finding where we agree and where we can work together to advance the policy of the state is really important. So I'm going to squeeze in one last call. Uh, Valerie is sure. calling from St. Louis. Uh, Valerie, hi, you're on St. Louis on the Air. Hi, thank you for taking my call. Um, I'm calling as a social worker and someone who has worked at PPSLR and Reproductive Health Services. That's uh, and, Planned Parenthood, uh, one of their affiliates. Yeah. Okay. And so I was 
just as I'm listening to this, really hearing um, the representative coming from a place of privilege. And as you know, I think about the women who were faced with very challenging choices um, to make. I just feel as though the, it, it feels sort of out of touch. And um, also that it, it feels as though we're taking away a woman's opportunity to exercise some choice and her opportunity to gain some control when life is feeling wildly out of control. Valerie, thank you for that. And I feel like uh, that is a topic that comes up time and again when people are are um, opposing what you're up to here, as yeah. they say, you're speaking from a place of privilege. Sure. I certainly hear that a lot, right? And one of the things that I would say to that is no one is recognizing that the gifts that I have been given, certainly not least me, is a good. And so rather than saying to every woman, you should have a community that is able to support you, we should have policies that allow your economic success, we should make sure that you have success. Instead, we're asking you to trade what is most precious and most vital, which is the life of your child, to have that economic success. So no one who's making that argument is saying that what I have is not a good. And I certainly recognize that I'm blessed beyond measure. My point is to say we should be working to advance policies that everyone can benefit from. And in fact, the people who are often lobbying that criticism at me are the ones who are absolutely literally making money from the abortion procedure. And so I think that that ends up being a little bit of a um, a red herring. Do you feel like your fellow Republican lawmakers are with you on the need to provide that kind of support here in Missouri? I, I don't know that I've seen a ton of evidence of that from some of your colleagues. Here's what happens is that people seem to want to conflate with a socialistic view of the role of government and that if we're not going to protect life, um, then therefore we have an obligation to completely fund everything for that person from womb to tomb. And um, when you don't subscribe to that view, people kind of say, oh, you just say this, this is just talking points. Um, what my Republican colleagues and what I as a conservative would argue is that having policies that support economic growth and development is going to help everybody and it's going to help people be able to provide for their families. And so to say, no, I don't think the government should financially support someone for the entirety of their life or their entirety of their child raising is not the same thing as we should not protect their life. I'm going to squeeze in one last call. I know I said that was it, but it's just it's been so interesting to hear from from so many people today. Susan is calling from Illinois. Um, Susan, hi, you're on St. Louis on the air. Um, hi, hi. Um, I um, I was adopted at birth and I didn't even know it for a long time. Mm. Oh, I'm so sorry. Um, but um, I am just so, so incredibly grateful to my my birth mother. The things she went through and suffered, my goodness. Um, so um, I am just wondering, is there some middle way? Is there some middle way here? I don't know what it is. <laughs> uh, and Susan, that's, that's maybe the $700 million question. But yeah, you're looking for something because you're grateful uh, that your birth mother gave birth to you. But it oh, sounds like... Beyond, beyond, beyond words. But beyond you're not measure. 100% ready to, to sign on to ban abortion. Is that, is that what I'm hearing? Uh, Right. I'm not. Yeah. Well, That's and right. so I, I'm right. so glad you called in. I would say that this is this is what returning the decision to the states does. And it allows people to make these decisions on a state by state basis about what's right for their communities. And that's part of what I'm advocating for now. I understand that 
My position may not be one that you support in Illinois. Um, Illinois has very different policies than Missouri does, but that's the federalist experiment. Um, and I don't see why this issue can't be dealt with in the same way. Now, certainly I will work to end abortion nationally as well. Um, I just think that women deserve better. But but that's the political process is everybody working. And part of why, Sarah, I really appreciate you having me on to talk about this because a lot of times people get so emotional around abortion that they're not able to have a real discussion about where people's views are and what their beliefs are and where they think the line should be and what should and shouldn't be allowed. And we only move forward as a country when we have these discussions and we have them civilly and we don't assume ill will of the other. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that. And I want to thank um, Susan for sharing her experience as an adoptee. Um, thank, uh, I'm drawing a blank on, was it Mary, somebody who called in and talked about her abortion? I think it's it's great when people can talk about where they're honestly coming from. And this is such a hard issue for so many people. I know you, you feel some certainty on this. There's a lot of people who don't. And I appreciate your willingness to come on here. So State Representative Mary Elizabeth Coleman, thank you. Thanks for having me. And Representative Coleman represents part of St. Louis County and Jefferson County. And before we take a short break here, we heard from a number of you after this week's programming. Some of you responded to our coverage of a Washington University professor who worries political anger is driving polarization. Others wanted to share thoughts on the one-year anniversary of January 6th. Civil political debate is certainly possible between individuals. I think the challenge is whether the individuals that are willing to engage in a public and civil political debate would then find themselves pariahs um, amongst the political types for either the Democrats or the Republicans. Um, I think that there's a performative element uh, among the mainstream political types that requires shunning of people that are willing to consider the arguments that are being made from the other side, um, so that even though individuals, if they're willing to take the risk of finding themselves outcast among uh, those who think similar to, similarly to themselves, um, I think that if they're willing to take that risk, that you can, in fact, have a civil political debate. And it can be tremendously beneficial for yourself um, and I'm an optimist. I think that ultimately it could be beneficial for society at large as well. We just have to have um, the, the confidence and the willpower to take the risk of being shunned by the most outspoken in order to uh, accomplish a good for the, the whole of society. I feel great sympathy for the people who attack the Capitol. I still want them held accountable, but I feel sorry for them. Human beings are programmed to see patterns and respond to them. Spring follows winter, night follows day, time to plant the crops, time to go to bed. The problem begins when folks start seeing connections that aren't there and acting upon them. January 6th was the result of a group of people discovering it's profitable to maintain fake patterns in order to make money hand over fist or maintain power. Both motivations are present in this case. It's why I have nothing but sympathy for the people who attack the Capitol based on long-debunked conspiracy theories. Sure, they sound like the crazy guy on the street corner shouting about how the FBI is controlling everything. However, these people aren't mentally ill. They're just being played. I am concerned. I'm an older guy, and I've seen a lot of bad things in this country my lifetime, political assassination in the 60s and so forth. And I'm really fearful that we've reached a point where 
this is two countries, urban versus rural, and neither side is willing to dim their lights to, you know, I, I'm just fearful where this may be heading. I would hope that calmer heads could, you know, get together and try to compromise. I know no one likes to compromise, but if we don't, where are we going as a country? Thank you for bringing this important subject up to people. And that was Dave from Mexico, Missouri, Madonna from Crestwood, and Bill from Milo, Missouri. We welcome your feedback and thoughts on everything we discuss on air. Find us on Facebook by searching for St. Louis on the Air there, and you can add your voice to the conversation before, during, and after the show. You can also leave us a voicemail on our dedicated line, 314-516-6397. Again, that's 314-516-NEWS, and we may share your comments on the air. This episode was produced by Jane Mather Glass with audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Dorr. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. If you learned something new from today's episode, consider leaving us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the easiest way to help people discover our show. We appreciate it. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com.